darkly splendid abodes. The official podcast of Toronto Thelema. Exploring, if you will, practical philosophy. From science and the workings of the mind, to spirituality, esotericism, and magic. Stooping down, dipping my wings, I came into the darkly splendid abodes. This is the second part of my discussion with Edward Mason on the subject of the abyss, that void between the actual and the archetypal, separating the supernal triad from the rest of the Sephiroth on the Tree of Life, and traditional location of the false Sephiroth of Da'ath, or knowledge. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. I mean, with that idea of connection, and that, um, one way that I conceptualize for myself uh, the abyss and the way it relates to the tree of life and that sort of thing um, is it makes me think of uh, everything below the abyss is what we normally have any kind of access to the like and what we could think of as like if you're trying to reach beyond yourself to the things around you in the environment you are only ever getting information through your senses and that sort of thing um and the abyss is almost like crossing beyond that border that threshold that keeps you separated and reaching into some level of actual connection beyond yourself yeah i mean we can appreciate quite easily what severity and mercy would mean in terms of the psyche you know Okay, sometimes I'm strict with myself, sometimes I'm too strict. Sometimes I'm I'm generous to people, sometimes I'm not. That stuff you can easily put together in your mind. You can understand the elements of these sephiroth. What's up there in the supernal realm is qualitatively different. Um, there are five paths of the tree that cross the abyss. Three of them come down to Tefereth. Two of them come down to Chesed and Gevura. And people think, well, why can't I just go up one of those? And the answer is because everything has to be released to go over the abyss. And if you're going up one path, which is one type of experience, that's all very you know, well and good for a, a guided meditation sometime. I've done some interesting stuff over the years either ritually or just simply working with the tarot cards um, and had little explorations over there. I've, I've gained some idea of what the principles are. The actual condition of a consciousness that could incorporate everything about being human, about being physical, sexual, ambitious, generous, whatever you could be, good, bad, indifferent, all of that is suddenly part of the total vision over there. We can't do that with the reasoning consciousness, the ruach, the, the self-conscious self. It just isn't the instrument you can use. Um, 
an analogy that's been offered to me in the past was think of the first seven Sephiroth as like marks on a sphere, you know, and kind of like the globe, you know, you had going through the tropics or going through the rainforest was hard, but it was possible to go. And then, okay, now you've um, done all of those seven Sephiroth. Going to Bina, understanding, capital U, understanding. It's like, okay, you now have to go to a point in the center of the sphere. Now, I know how to walk and climb and jump. That gets me around the sphere, but there is absolutely no way I can pass to the center of the sphere. It just, I can't get there. I can't bring my body. I can't imagine what that would be like. I cannot envisage any of what that would involve. And in order to start that process, I'm going to have to abandon every concept I have of how to make things work, how to make things happen, how to bring myself from A to B, because I'm not going from A to B or A to C or A to D, I'm going from A to X. And I can't actually go there. It's not possible. From your two-dimensional world out there, you're transversing the in the steps into a 3D world. It's incomprehensible. You cannot envisage this. Your mind is not capable of putting that idea or the necessary ideas together. Therefore, there's no conceivable path for you actually to make the full transition of the core, the essence, the primary substance of your existence, taking it from what we can understand into something that comprehends everything. I think we should actually mention what has just happened in the recording process. I just said something about you can't comprehend everything, which means that you've got to comprehend nothing at this point. And at this exact moment, our Zoom meeting timed out and (laughs) there I was completely abandoned. And I thought that was just... (laughs) (laughs) Ah, little things please me. (laughs) <laughs> um, but as I said, this is what magic is. It's not that you levitate stuff off your altar. It's about the cool little synchronicities that begin to to weave themselves in. Uh, there's always mm-hmm. a divine sense of humor there, which rather offsets the aspects of this crossing. <laughs> but, of course, we're not crossing the abyss. We're just discussing it here. The key thing to me, looking back on my checkered and very gradual progress through all of this is that you have to go through those last two sephiroth because gevora severity is also you know what you volition is there which is aimed at the future you have to know very realistically what you truly want to do There may be a whole load of things that you've always thought that would be kind of cool, but you don't really want to have to do all of that. It's just a neat idea. Um, Similarly, Chesed 
is said to be about remembering the memory, which of course relates to the past. So when you've done both of those sephiroth in sufficient intensity and sufficient depth, and that requires a whole load of exercises that circumvent thinking about those things, circumvent contemplating them all the time. You need stuff that will stimulate will. You need stuff that will stimulate remembering, and not just remembering in the you know, sense of, oh, back when I was 23, this happened to me, or in my you know, five lifetimes ago, I worked for the Inquisition as a torturer. It's also about recollection in the sense of recollecting everything that you are, pulling everything together. Because if you're going to abandon everything, which is the, the point and the purpose of this method, <laughs> if you can call it a method, um, then you've got to know what everything is, which is why, of course, you can't just zip up the, the tree. There is, yes, the famous example of Frater Achad, who uh, supposedly as a neophyte, um, mm -hmm. his interpretation of a clause in the rules of the AA and said, look, I've taken the oath of the abyss and here I am. There are people whose opinion I would respect who said really what he had was a very, very intense experience of the path of Tav, the universe, which is assigned to Saturn just as Bina is but the man couldn't really have got there simply because he hadn't done enough to be able to let go of everything. So he has this rather odd career in the rest of his life, Achad. Um, I know there are people who think he's great. Whatever I read of his struck me as a little bit um, enthusiastic amateur. And having hmm. read some stuff, I thought, Nah, not nothing here with this guy mm. for me. So, um, really, you have to go the whole track. You've got to kick your own psyche around. You've got to back out of certain tendencies, desires, attitudes, beliefs, anxieties, and fixations as you play around with your sword and hold and netzach before you can actually open inwardly not as a conscious choice, but inwardly to the HGA. And then that experience has to be deepened, refined, and enriched by dealing with Gevura and Chesed. And some people might get to the key points of their lives by the time they're in their late 20s, early 30s. Crowley was doing the abyss crossing there in Tunisia when he was early 30s. Um, other people, I think, have gone over or through um, in their 50s. It's not as age-limited. Really, as I understand it, you need a tremendous amount of mental self-discipline to do the Abramelin process to get age, to get knowledge and conversation. So that is better handled by somebody on the south side of their 40th birthday. Then there are hmm. Hebrew traditions that you shouldn't even touch Kabbalah until you're 40. <laughs> so obviously they, you know, hmm. it's there are different ways of um, you know, wringing this chicken's neck. 
But uh, yeah, people much older can go on and gradually unhook themselves from all the things that they were so excited about earlier on and um, abandon those things to go through the abyss. I feel like there's a certain level of momentum involved uh, in the way at least that Crowley's talking about it as well, where it's almost like your your own momentum starts compelling you forward up the tree at some point. I believe that the momentum is coming from the supernal triangle within your own existence. So, mm. you know, there are there's the animal soul, Nefesh, there is the Ruach, which is the, the self-conscious individuality that can observe things, learn things, and analyze things. Then there's Neshama, which is the supernal soul. And it's Neshama that's really saying, come on home, um, you know, or, or I want to go home. You know, my, my best friends live up there and I'd be, like to you know, hang out with them more. So that in itself is going to transform the experience of the um, exempt adeptus who is receiving all kinds of crazy-seeming stuff from an aspect of existence that is way beyond anything logical, sensible, um, analyzable, or comprehensible. So, but, and of course, Neshama includes the here, the actual life force, the actual will here, which is saying, go on. But I think the actual urge to go over, if it's valid, I think has to come from very deep within. I doubt that there is a moment where somebody says, I think I'll cross the abyss next year, unless there is something building up within them that is saying, it, you have to do this one next. You know, you can't stay stuck here. We do have what Crowley calls the Black Brothers, the purse-proud ones, I think Libra 65 calls them, um, who are mocking everybody else's inferiority or failure to attain. They're actually people who would not give up their perceived adeptship and align absolutely, completely with what the HGA is about by abyss crossing. I assume that what you find as you enter into Binar is just HGA-ness rather than HGA plus me-ness, which is what you would have below the abyss. Now, what, exactly how you would do this, I mean, okay, you take the oath of the abyss and you know, you're going to go through this thing and abandon everything you've been. Um, everyone has their different way of writing about it. Gareth Knight talks a little bit about Darth, being analogous to the upper room of Christian uh, theology, which is where Jesus met the disciples for the Last Supper. So if you avoid the fundamentalist perspective, it's like everyone has gone to this point here where there is a profoundly meaningful moment in Jesus' career and the career of his followers take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood. He's establishing the cult for the people who are going to be left behind because he is not going to be around anymore. Next day, they're going to torture him to death. It's a point of profound transformation. Thelemites are not required to get themselves 
uh, tortured to death, which I greatly appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, but you are going to be here in Darth, which is knowledge. Now, knowledge is a mass of information. When you get into Hermeticism in any form, whatever the mystery school, there's a whole load of stuff. Here's the Hebrew alphabet. Oh, there's these shapes and signs and symbols. You've got to learn all this stuff about the Sephiroth and the, the tarot and the archangels and you know elementals and stuff and astrology and you know, whatever. Uh, information. You'll need some of that knowledge, even if you will have to abandon your attachment to the, the wonders of it, if you're really going to go passing through this nothingness that uh, gets you across. But that seems to be what Darth is about, so far as I can understand it. Um, it is setting us up, and it's not a, it's not a full Sephira. It's a kind of virtual Sephira. It's unstable. You can't just use knowledge. You have to have love. You have to have intention, which is magical or spiritual power to go through. I know a lot of people uh, tend to dislike the idea of this uh, sort of uh, letting go of everything on the way like into that stage as well. And I think that's, I mean, that seems to be like what's related to the the Black Brotherhood, as you mentioned, uh, the idea of not being willing to let go of everything uh, and wanting to hold on to that adept ship or whatnot. Um, and there are arguments from people that... Uh, you know, diverge away from Thelema, for instance, or try to make Thelema a different version of Thelema, perhaps, where um, uh, it doesn't require this letting go of everything. Yeah, well, I mean, we all try and avoid responsibility <laughs> at some point or other. And this is not a responsibility to any external thing. It's a responsibility to the vital essence within yourself sometimes when i hear that stuff it's like okay maybe somebody is at a stage where they need to experience that i don't know that refusing to go over in this lifetime and finding all kinds of excuses uh necessarily damns you to you know that that's it it's the end of your career you'll perish in the abyss after this um who knows? <laughs> there just isn't a newspaper put out by the you know, the Abyss Press which notifies you know, who's come over, who's having trouble, and, and who got lost. You get a lot of information, um, but it's all noise. <laughs> it's all noise. I, I had an experience um, here when I was giving a general lecture some time ago about what Thelema is. And I got to the point where I described to Ferris, you know, and there's, you're filled with light and there's laughter and suddenly the world looks much more beautiful than you've ever imagined. But at a certain point, that nudging thing inside says, look, there's so much we don't know yet. We're going to have to go on and we're going to have to refine what's going here through a process of severe pruning. There was a lady there who is by no means stupid. Um, she's following a rather more new age-ish path and she believed that you just reached a certain stage and received input from the divine. And she said to me, you're wrong. Hmm. Not, oh, I disagree with you. Not, oh, well, in my school, we teach it rather differently. 
but you're wrong. <laughs> and it was like, it was almost like she was telling me to shut up. <laughs> I'm getting that she found what I was saying to be scary because somewhere inside herself, she's wondering, is there anything more? And the particular group she's with, I don't think offers anything more. Hmm. Um, you just have to be patient with the fact that everyone is where they're at, which, of course, includes people who are going to be very strongly opposed to Thelema um, and just can't be supportive. Occult secrecy still has a use. You know, don't just go around. I know you're supposed to tell everyone that you're in the AA to the extent you understand it. Um, I'd still choose who I confided that information to. Um, or you can say, oh, I, I'm in a, you know, a spiritual school, but don't get that specific. Choose discerningly. Discernment, discrimination is the virtue of Malkuth always. So, yeah, people are just where they're at. If somebody is a black brother, or fits that general definition. Um, okay, just stay socially polite, but don't get into intense conversations with them mm -hmm. because they're going to need for their own survival to cause you to doubt what you're doing. Uh, when it comes to this type of thing, I think there's a danger also of um, feeling like, uh, okay, we have on the white one side, we have those who do it correctly. And though on the other side, we have the black brotherhood who are the bad guys. And I think that there's also a danger of uh, falling into that kind of mentality about things as well. And uh, I mean, there is something to be said for minding your own business and not worrying about other people so much. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. You're here to do your own true will and not to uh, try and make everyone else do your true will. <laughs> um, yeah, you just have to let the universe be what it is. And I think if you do go through the abyss and you do come to the city of the pyramids, and all of those things that you thought were you are just that little pile of ash now that, you know, to use Crowley's metaphor. Um, the vision of wonder, the vision of sorrow you would have is recognizing that diversity, that the universe is in a certain condition and some parts of it are doing just fine and some parts are having to struggle and a lot of parts of it are, you know, maybe getting a bit used up. Let it be the way it is. It is all essential, and somehow it will all resolve itself at some future point. All energy is uh, compensated, and <laughs> the exact energy levels of the universe is exactly zero, so everything's good. <laughs> I do, if I can offer a um, personal opinion, think that uh, the first chapter of the Book of the Law, verse 61, kind of encodes what is supposed to happen in the crossing. But to love me is better than all things. So this is not something to do with personal opinion. It's not um, you're doing something you're doing for self-gratification. To love me, to feel love for the angel is better than all things. If under the night stars in the desert thou presently burnest mine incense before me, invoking me with a pure heart and the serpent flame therein, 
thou shalt come a little to lie in my bosom. Very subjective interpretation. Remember that Chokmah is in traditional terms before they knew about uh, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. The, the zodiac is encoded there. Mm-hmm. And also simply going through the night that <clears throat> brings you to Bina would expose you to the night stars. So you are under the night stars in the desert. You're, there's nothing in the desert. You're letting go of everything you always wanted to be or thought you should be or thought it would be cool to be. You pre- thou presently burnest mine incense before me. Yes, there are suggestions about what specific incense to burn, but it, I wondered if, in fact, that is the burning up of the old sense of self because you're going to turn your old self into mm-hmm. a pile of ash. Mm-hmm. You invoke me with a pure heart. There can't be anything distracting us from that. And the serpent flame therein, there needs to be this force, this life force, this kundalini saying, on. Thou shalt come a little to lie in my bosom. For one kiss wilt thou then be willing to give all. But whoso gives one particle of dust shall lose all in that hour. That last bit, even Crowley says, there are two interpretations. One is the particle of dust is, well, you hang on to one particular thing and you lose everything. On the other hand, if you hang on to the one particle of dust that is your ultimate, final, true aspiration, that remembering whatever your true will is, is going to be fulfilled from your entry into Bina, then you shall lose all in that hour by discarding everything other than that spark of true will. That's my take on that verse. And if I ever find myself being nudged, probably, you know, on my deathbed, of like, you know, <laughs> why not? You've got nothing to lose. Um, off you go. <laughs> um, I hope I remember that verse and the, uh, the possible interpretations of that, because I think it does offer us words on how to do this. But remember, it's a beautifully poetic passage. It's not come here and we'll, you know, the cosmos will beat you up. You'll have a terrifying experience and maybe you'll make it through. That's how it seems from south of the abyss, (laughs) Um, having crossed over or crossed through, it might look different. One other quick thing I'll mention is, I don't know whether many people hold to this idea anymore, but it's another way of looking at the crossing. Um, When I first got into this stuff 30 years ago, people still remembered um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and he's going to go and get the, the, the grail from inside this cave, this temple. And he has to cross a literal abyss that has some sort of sheet of glass or mica there and that that was the popular metaphor back in Mm. 1991. Um, Also, I was told by the person who offered that idea to me, imagine that you get to Gevura and of course the symbol of that is a sword. You will, the sword is the symbol of Gevura. You lay that sword across the abyss. Over in Chesed, you have received the staff of authority a very big scepter, maybe like the was scepter with the, the head of set and the forked uh, base mm. to it that uh, you get, uh, you see on the study of revealing in the right, left hand of Horus. 
Um, so you're walking across that sword bridge with the staff like a tightrope walker. Not literally, but as a metaphor of what has to be done and what's involved. That's kind of a cool image, I think. Hmm. One to remember. Yeah. And I think that's probably all about I would most of what I would think was worth saying. Okay. There is one little chapter in uh, the uh, Book of Lies where Crowley makes mention of uh, crossing the desert and uh, saying that uh, over the ages, those who pioneer by crossing the desert will gradually irrigate it. And that makes me think of uh, this subject matter as well. Any thoughts on that? Neat idea, yeah. Um, it often strikes me, I've been going through more of Crowley's material recently. I haven't looked at much of it for a long time. Um, so many efforts he made, depending on what his students were requiring of him, so that he produced not just the the batch of holy books that came out in 19, you know, that he got in around 1907, but things that came the heart of the master, the book of lies, Liber Aleph, later on, and various rituals, some of which I've never even wanted to try, but were obviously aimed at helping certain people break out of a fixed view of themselves, because you can't go on up the tree unless you're willing to drop certain perspectives on who you are, including, of course, you know, well, I'm not that great a person, or I'm not very talented. I don't know much. Um, Thelema requires us to say yes. <laughs> I, I am something. I'm a necessary part of the universe. I have a true will, and I have certain skills that go with that. If I'm living according to this true will, I can do some interesting stuff, and I can have a positive effect on other people. Um, pride is not something that is scorned in Thelema at all. There are certain moments when you need a form of humility in order to keep the mundane ego at bay, but the individuated self, the, the adept self that is actually in an ongoing relationship and dialogue with the HGA, um, that requires a certain pride and confidence that uh, we are going somewhere. Hmm. Eventually, of course, we come to this unnameable, indescribable absence of stuff, absence of anything that we call the abyss. And at this point, there must have been some information received or some understanding have come into place about what to do but it still needs to be experienced on its own terms. And in some manner, there would, you'd have to deal with the demon of the abyss coming up and endlessly distracting you. This is what happened with Crowley in Tunisia, the demon that Caronzon took over, and Victor Newberg was scribbling away all the stuff it said, which was completely inconsequential, but it distracted him while the demon, presumably using Crowley's body and voice, was kicking sand over the sigils and getting ready to break out of the circle. There is risk in this. Um, 
I'm not sure that everybody needs to go to a desert and do stuff there. But I think you would have to realize there was always something distracting you. Crowley's opinion was that uh, George Cecil Jones couldn't quite go over because he had too strong an attachment to his family. And that when Crowley met him years later, Jones was very proud of his family, but he couldn't, he didn't really have anything spiritual to say anymore. It's like he'd exhausted what he had. Mm-hmm. Did he mess up crossing the abyss? I don't know. And I understand his papers are all sealed away for a few more years yet. Mm-hmm. So until they're opened, you know, we will know exactly his side of the story. It would be fascinating to see what he has. I think there will be a, a new surge of Crowley scholarship when that uh, information is released. I think in 2030 or in the 2030s, but for now, it's all under lock and key in an archive, and we don't know. Hmm. Yeah. That would, well, we'll look forward to hearing more about that <laughs> when uh, when the time comes, and hopefully this podcast will still exist at that <laughs> be making episodes, and we'll check back. And if you're still making episodes when I come back for my next incarnation, assuming I make it through, um, I might be able to go over the abyss in that lifetime, and I can come back and tell you what it's like. <laughs> As, as closely as I could communicate it in a verbal formula. <laughs> but for now, I think I've said all that uh, can be said about the situation from rather further down the tree. Well, this is a very interesting conversation, as usual. Uh, so thanks very much for joining me once again, Edward, in uh, 93. 93. Thank you for joining us. Look for Toronto Thelema on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Watch for events in the city. And join us again in the darkly splendid abodes. 